Welcome back to another episode of Around the 412. I'm Tyler. With me, as always, is my co-host, Smitty. Be sure to follow us on social media, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. Go subscribe to us on there. Like all of our videos. Leave comments as well. Let us know what you see, would like to see posted. It really helps us out and supports the channels a lot. Also, if you've been following us for a long time, we've we've supported several GoFundMes over the past several months. Um, and in continuation of that, all of those will be continued to be linked in the descriptions. And if you don't know about those, all the information can be found below. It'll be linked in the description for all the shows on the listening platform comments, as well as in the comments on YouTube as well in the description. So, um, but other than that, let's just hop right into the show. Um, we, we switched up our order that what we were going to normally do. We were going to think we were going to do pirates first because they're in season. Steelers in the middle, because let's be honest, those are most popular. And then the Penguins were going to be last because we figured, okay, maybe they'll still be fighting for a playoff spot or maybe have secured a playoff spot this week. Well, ladies and gentlemen, for the first time in 17 years, the Pittsburgh Penguins failed to make it to the Stanley Cup playoffs. And first perspective... I was I had just turned 11 years old. Smitty was still 10. He was going to be turning 11. Uh, and we were in fifth grade the last time that the Penguins had played 82 season games and did not make the postseason. So this is really raw to us. We have no idea how to happen. And it's really raw because literally five minutes ago, the Islanders game ended that mm-hmm. that clinched that we were not going to be making it. So. I, where do you want to start? Because this is something brand new to us in our history of the show and pr- practically yeah. our lives of watching hockey. I mean, granted, th- they didn't make playoffs for several seasons when we were like really young, like six, seven, eight. But like, mm-hmm. I know both of us weren't really watching hockey to the dedication and as big of a fans as we were then as we are now. So literally our whole hockey life and hockey journey, watching the Penguins and being a fan of the Penguins and their players, we have not really experience not being in the playoffs ever and now we experience that for what feels like the first time and so where should we start with it uh, well first off i want to say uh we are recording on 412 day which is pretty insane oh, that's so true. i didn't bring that up yeah like i was super excited to record this episode tonight thinking like oh we're recording it, it just happened to land on the 12th of april this episode um, and it was going to be perfect. And also like looking back to, and I, and I realized this even before Tuesday. So going into Tuesday where the Penguins controlled their own destiny, just had to win their last two hockey games, uh, against the two worst teams in hockey, things were looking better because of, uh, some help that they had gotten from the capitals. And I guess, I mean, kind of Toronto that really didn't make a whole lot of difference, but, yeah. and nothing but made the, a difference because of the, the Penguins capitals anyway. acknowledged it too, though. Yeah, that was uh, for that sure. was the funny part seeing that on Twitter. Yeah, um, but it, it so it obviously sucks. But and, and we're gonna get in more in depth with that aspect of it. So that's why first I just want to like appreciate the run that this team just had. Uh, you know, making the playoffs for as long as they did. Like you said, ten and eleven years old. The last time that we're talking about this team not making the playoffs, and and here we are, uh, doing this podcast for over five. Actually, this summer's gonna be six years. Uh, so they've yeah. obviously made the playoffs every year that we've done this show, and well before that. Like you said, most of my hockey watching life and hockey was my first the first first sport that I really like fell in love with. 
um, because of my dad playing hockey. So, yeah, I mean, this is this is a tough one as we sit here recording tonight to think about them not being in the playoffs. We talked about it, you know, weeks leading up to this point where we could tell like this team wasn't a contender. I mean, it seemed that way for most of the season, but you just thought like, you know, maybe a couple months ago, I could have talked myself into them winning a playoff series just on the back of Sid. But, you know, as we got closer down the stretch here, it became very clear, like if they sneaked into the playoffs, maybe they steal one from somebody. But really, it just became like we talked about it being a loser's mentality. Uh, just extend the playoff streak. Like that's the only thing that we were worried about happening this season. And uh, unfortunately, they weren't able to do that after a loss to the Blackhawks uh, of all teams to, you know, have have your playoff streak ended by. Um, and it seems like poetic that it was the Islanders doing it tonight on the backs of three goals from Brock Nelson and Anders Lee. I mean, Penguin Killers through and through. And even when they're not playing the Penguins, yeah. they are ending their season. So um, first, I wanted to take a minute to just appreciate the run that this core has had. And, you know, those guys still did everything in their power to try to will this team to the playoffs. Um, unfortunately, goaltending, coaching, bottom six mismanagement, a lot of bad play on the blue line as well. Um, it wasn't enough. And uh, they're going to play their final game tomorrow night or today, I guess, by the time you guys are listening to this on Thursday. And then that's it. 82 game regular season, no playoff this season. Uh, really just weird to even hear those words come out of my mouth the fact that the penguins just aren't going to be in the playoffs i'm still interested in watching playoff hockey but man does it have a weird feeling even though they've been bouncing the first round you know so many consecutive seasons the fact that they're not even like part of the dance is just so weird to me it is very weird um i mean like we've said several times it's been a long long time since this has been the case and i feel like i should acknowledge and we i did a couple shows ago, um, th this is, I don't know if historical is the right word, probably not, but it's notable for sports in general and, and sports across this, this country and across North America because the Pittsburgh Penguins had the longest active playoff streak amongst pretty all good amount. North yeah. American sports. And now that streak is over. I don't even know what the second place team is. I think it's like 10. I think it's like 10 years. 10 years. So it, it was 16 or 17 years with the Penguins. You know, the fact that they were able to keep it that long and across every single sport, they they held that and continuously held it. And it didn't even seem like it was a threat to, to even be broken anytime soon. Um, the fact that we're talking about that is the case. I mean, you you had the Penguins finishing second in the division. I had them finishing third. But mm -hmm. e even at second and third, those were comfortable playoff spots. And the fact that they're not even making it is just so shocking and surprising. But like you were saying, the, the fact that um, we were able to have such a long run out of this core and we got three Stanley Cups within that run, multiple deep, deep runs as well. I, I I think that Penguins fans, even though it's over, shouldn't take what we had. And I mean, still have. I mean, Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang, those guys had great seasons. We don't know what the next couple seasons will hold. But as far as what it is right now and what it has been for the past several, I mean, a decade and a half, really, I think that Penguin fans should really appreciate the run that these guys have put together. And then the fact that this trio has stuck around for so long and continued to produce the way that they have and have carried this team to multiple postseason runs. I, I, I think it's a credit to them. It's a credit to the Penguins organization. And this year they just weren't able to get it done. Um, 
Yeah, and you mentioned the problems. I mean, the 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 team was not very constructed well. Um, the bottom six, lack of scoring. The def- defense at times seemed pretty good, but then they suffered a lot of injuries, and there were a few players that just didn't really play that well individually, and the goaltending was a huge issue. I mean, th- this team has a lot of problems moving forward. I mean, we, we, we've talked about several individual guys throughout this season. I mean, keys like Brian Dumoulin, Tristan Jari, um, Jeff Carter, Mike, Mikhail Grandland. But as a whole, I mean, I, I, I tweeted this out um, last night. And in the entire Penguins organization, now, granted, I don't know all of like the scouts, analysts, and vaccine people, you know, but I'm talking just players, coaching, management, the people that are in the know that I that I know that I know work for the Penguins. There are only like five or six names that I really care if on the team next year, and outside of that, I don't really care if anybody is replaced besides those six names, and that's Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin. Jake Gensel, Ricard Raquel, Chris Letang, and Marcus Pedersen. Six guys. Outside of that, any player, any coach, any management, I don't care. You can kick rocks, hit the door. There's definitely some of you that I for sure want gone, and then the others that I for sure don't want gone, or that I don't necessarily want gone, but yeah, give or take. It's it's fine. I don't care. Like a Ryan Paling, six guys. Like, yeah, Ryan Paling. <laughs> what, what what that doesn't move the needle whatsoever. I don't yeah. care if he's gone. But and and that's speaking of like Mike Sullivan, the head coach too. And I have come to the defense of Mike Sullivan a lot over the past mm-hmm. several seasons, including this season a lot. And now, do I think that he should be fired? I don't know. I I, I but I think you could convince me that he should be fired. And a lot of that has to do with playing into his management of the team. And I understand his his the famous quote from the season was, our team is our team. His team was his team. But some of the deployment that he had with his team, some of the line pairings he had with his team, some, putting out certain lines and certain defensive pairings in, in critical situations in the game, those to me are the, the key tell signs that he didn't know what he was doing with this team, or at least – from my perspective, what I think should be the best lines or, or the best pairings that should be on the ice, I, I'm, I'm very questionable at, at a lot of the decisions that he made throughout the season. And, you know, they haven't won a playoff series since 2018. And I, I know that's that's a hard thing to, like, hold against a coach when there's been specific things that we've kind of pointed at for for a lot of the losses in the within those playoff series. But, mm-hmm. you know, eventually something's got to give. And if Mike Sullivan was the one of the things that had to give this offseason, I don't know that I'd be that upset as it uh, upset as it now as I was where it would have been at the beginning of this season, looking at the journey that we had for this 2022 season. Yeah, I mean, we've said it so often, but I think the most frustrating thing to me is if they would have like if Crosby, Gino Latang fall off a cliff this season and that's the reason they missed the playoffs. So be it. You know, you went down with a sinking ship that you, you know, has gotten you all the success that you've had over the last two decades. You know, I, I think that it would still have been like the right thing to bring those guys back, but they validated those contract extensions with what they did this season. They made those look good. And same with Ricard Raquel, who had his, you know, maybe second best career season this year with the Penguins. Um, so, you know, if those guys don't perform and that's the reason they missed the playoffs, fine. 
I would I would have rather have had that be the case. But with those guys having the seasons they've had, being relatively healthy too, and then to not make the playoffs, and, and then seeing why they didn't make the playoffs, that's why it's harder to stomach. And you know, to your point about like changes, I think you know that was one really you know one of the real big topics to talk about. One of the very few topics that I put on here, just because I knew a lot of this was just going to be like off the cuff anyway. It was just going to be like raw um, emotional talk about the team and in the state of things, given that again missing the playoffs for the first time really in like since we've actually enjoyed watching hockey and know what's going on fully. Um, but yeah, I so I, I think when I'm looking at what are the potential changes, everybody, obviously the first thing is, is Ron Hextall GM at the top. Um, but I want to ask you realistically, so we can say whatever we want to happen or whatever we think should happen with this team. But like, what changes do we think actually are going to be made? Like first and foremost, is it a foregone conclusion in your mind that Ron Hextall is going to be fired? Or is there like still have have we opened up the, the our minds to the possibility that he's not going to be? I haven't opened up my mind to that yet. I haven't I haven't pulled my Matt Canada take on Ron Hextall yet. Um <laughs> that, that he's gonna be back for next season. You know, I, I I genuinely think that this was like the nail in the coffin for Ron Hextall. And I think there was a good argument against it, even if they did make the playoffs, that he should be gone. And we made that argument over this season throughout these different shows that we had of examples of why we think that he should be. And I, th- I think that the Mikhail Granlin trade should be the final move that he did outside of moving up and down Alex Nylander a million times. Um, but as far as transactional trades go, that Mikhail Granlin trade, for how bad as it turned out to be, that mixed with not even making the playoffs should be the nail in the coffin for Ron Hextall. I, I genuinely believe that. And be- it- because I think the the mountain of bad severely outweighs the little good that Hextall has done in his tenure as the Penguins GM because we've we've named the good the trade for Jeff Carter trading for Ricard Raquel extending Raquel and, and granted the years that that's iffy but at least right now that extension looks good and that's about where it stops for for the good and then you have this mountain of bad and I, I just feel like he it's a foregone conclusion to me that he's going to be gone. And not that the, the fan base speaks for the ownership and the team, but I mean, you have during this game against the Blackhawks in the third period, fire Hextall chance are breaking out. And I feel that I mean, that's, that's not a good sign. You say that, they that, don't they don't speak for how ownership feels, but at the same time, that that's where your revenue is coming from. I mean, a good portion yeah. of your revenue, obviously right. like people watching on TV and stuff, but yeah, when you have people in the arena chanting that they're, they're, they're sending a message. They can't yeah. be ignoring that. Exactly. And so I think we, when you just look at his tenure as a penguin GM and, and look at the moves, especially the recent ones that have taken place, I don't see there's a way that they could reasonably explain to themselves or, or re- reason with themselves why they should even bring him back. And I, I think he has to be gone. They didn't hire him either. Like, I mean, I think that's the big thing for me is they have no reason to really plant their flag with this guy. Like, it's not the GM that they hired. So they can move on. I mean, again, we weren't in that room, but from all accounts, he didn't do very well in his interview with them last year when they asked for his plan for the future of the team. And he couldn't say what it was like. I mean, literally, like I think of the scene in the office with um uh who's that actor? Oh, 
you know what I'm talking about where he's like, well, I can't tell you my plan. Once you give me the job, then I'll tell oh, you. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. No, I know. I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. Um, but that's seriously like that's the scene that comes to my mind when I think about it. I just there's no way that Fenway Sports Group as much as like an absentee owner as they've looked like. Uh, and at times it just seems like they're not even in the picture. I think missing the playoffs, missing out on that playoff revenue, when you acquired this asset in the Penguins, one for the name that they've built for themselves around hockey with the star power and the recent history that they've you know accomplished here, and two, because they're constantly generating extra revenue by making the postseason. Now they didn't do that this year. I, I think something's up. and I, I would be very surprised if Ron Hextall was retained. To your point, though, about Mike Sullivan, who we were just talking about, he just got an extension recently. That's the one where it's like anybody can say whether they want him to be or not. I honestly, I've gotten to the point where I'm kind of like indifferent on it. And by the way, like, I think I should preface by saying I think Mike Sullivan is a fantastic hockey coach. But we also know like he's already well outlived the shelf life of most hockey coaches. And as much as we love this core, they're not easy guys to coach especially like long-term. So again, Mike Sullivan, fantastic hockey coach. That doesn't mean that like he can just be here forever and continue to carry on his legacy based off the accomplishments from years and years ago. If they fired him or whatever, I would be kind of worried about who the next guy would be to be quite honest with you. Cause I don't know if I trust them hiring a coach. Um, it's going to be a but, recycled coach. Probably <laughs> that, that's, that's just, honestly that's how that's the NHL works. But I want to ask you, we, we kind of talked about Sullivan already, but like, do you think that's even a realistic possibility? Because honestly, I don't. I don't think he's going to be fired. Not this year. I don't think so. Um, I, I, I think that they're going to start with the GM because I feel like that's the more obvious one. What about head Burke? Co- head co- Burke. The problem is I don't even know what Burke does. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I genuinely don't. I, I know his he has a title, but like, what does he do with the team? I know he has influence in what Ron Hextall was doing as GM, so maybe because of that, he he's not brought back. But I I genuinely have no clue what goes on with his handling. All I know is he can't tie a tie, or he can tie a tie. He chooses not to tie a tie <laughs> the correct way. You know what yeah. I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I have no idea what he does with the club. So it, to me, that's that's a. I don't know if it's a, I'm indifferent. It's a, I genuinely have no clue because I don't know what he does. And Smitty don't, don't worry. Uh, don't don't at worry. At first, I thought the power because... was going to go out. No, that that didn't happen. <laughs> um, but, you know, with when it comes to Sullivan, I'm indifferent as well. I don't think that he's going to be fired. Um, I, I, I think he did a lot of good with, with the Penguins. And I feel like, a lot of the time, at least for coaches, it takes more than one season of missing the playoffs to be fired. Now, now granted, the Penguins haven't experienced this in a long time, so maybe that's different for this organization. But I feel like they're going to give him another shot to kind of build this team, with, especially with some different players in it, because I feel like that there's a good chance that this team is going to look quite a bit different at the start of the 2023 season. I mean, they have some cap space to work with, but well, I feel that's like another there, question there, I had there, on there here, could so. be some trades of, of guys that are going to be moved out. But I feel like they're going to give him another shot of trying to build this team and, and coach this team with some new life around it. Um, now, as far as his staff, though, I, I like well, Reardon, Reardon was me, extended too. I I, and I don't know why. I, I look at the power play and I get for 
I don't know if it fin- what if what it's going to finish the season as, but I know over the past month I've heard it mentioned that like oh they have the se- seventh best power play at home in the league, but they have like the thirty first worst power play or thirty yeah thirty first worst power play away. I mean overall that averages out to like a twentieth to twenty fifth ranked power play in the league. I, I feel like that's not good enough. I, again, if, if he's not coaching good special teams, because even then the penalty kill started off the year great. They were like number one, two, three in the rankings. And then that fell off a cliff at times as well. So if he's not coaching good special teams, what's he here for? I feel like there's a better shot that Reardon is gone than Sullivan is gone. I don't know I if that's really that. Sullivan's decision. Um, like I, I don't know how that works. If it's like the GM can just fire an assistant or if it's al- also up to the head coach, what, what happens with his personnel. But I feel like he's going to be gone. Um, but, you know, as far as the coaching staffs, like that's the only one that is like a glaring problem for me. Um, unless you want to talk about goaltending, too. Like, I don't know. But I don't I, even I know. Do. <laughs> I, and, and I don't know if like the goaltending coach is the issue or our goalies is the issue. But I'm good to just scrap the whole package. Every single goaltender and goalie coach that we have at the NHL level and just be done and, with it. Andy Chioda, I believe is his name. Correct. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, to me, I would, I would start over, uh, in that department. Um, and that's the coach and the goalies. I don't know that that's going to happen, but, um, yeah, I don't like, I, I don't know have one of them. Another but... guy that was promoted was Ty Hennis. So I don't know, like, you know, that so many guys were just recently promoted or extended or both like, the thing, though, that's interesting it, we haven't seen with the past with the ownership group is like FSG's got money to throw around. Do they care about that? Or, you know, they might be willing to fire guys that have years of ex- like contracts still left and just pay, you know, more people because they have that type of cash flow. I don't know. Like until we see it play out, we're not going to know until there's like some type of body of work here. I just until that happens, I have to operate under the assumption that that that's not going to be the case. So I don't know that that's going to happen, but sticking with the players, um, there could be a decent amount of roster turnover. I wanted to ask you about that too. Like how different could the Penguins look in 2023? I mean, decent amount of UFAs, really not a ton that I think like we want back. I mean, Jason Zucker's maybe the one, and we've kind of had some conversation about that too. It's like, I definitely would like him back, but, but I'm I'm weary because of him having a really good season in a contract year for a guy that's had a ton of injuries over 30 years old. I just, I wouldn't want to, you know, I wouldn't want to hand out another one of those five or six year deals like we've been doing. Well, hopefully Ron Hexel is not the GM making that deal and yeah. that, that wouldn't be the case. He wouldn't, he wouldn't want to pull that trigger. Um, but looking at those UFAs that we have, and there's a few RFAs as well um, that are on the NHL roster right now. I just but Jason that. Zucker is 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 a UFA, like you said, and we've mentioned that several times. Danton Heinen, I don't care if he's back. That That's another million dollars off the books. Yeah. Josh Archibald, like 900000 He outperformed his contract, I think. He, but, yeah. I, he, he did okay. He did better yeah. than expected. But again, it's kind of just one of those who cares if he's back. Um, Ryan Paling, Alex Nylander, and Drew O'Connor are all RFAs. I feel like at least with Alex Nylander and Drew O'Connor, there, there's reason to tenure them and, ha- and give them extending or qualifying offers. Ryan Paling, like 
like I, I like Paling, but I it's like, like him, but it's like that I don't six. really you gotta care. You got to improve it somewhere. You can't bring the same guys back. Like, yeah, yeah. The big one on defense, Brian Dumoulin is going to come off the books. That's what, I don't know. If you I saw can't. My reaction I can't see about here. Yeah, I can't see any way that Brian but, Dumoulin is retained. Let me let me ask. Okay, well that answers my question. But I wanted to bring up something. How much pull do you think Chris Letang has in Brian Dumoulin coming back? Mm-hmm. I, I I think Chris Letang has a decent amount of pull. I, I feel like he doesn't have his he doesn't have the Crosby pull, but he he's up there, especially because we're talking about def- defensemen. But the thing is, I feel like even with Chris Letang's pull and the influence that he could have, if if you have any hockey sense, just look at the season that Brian Dumoulin had overall. Now, granted, down the stretch, there were several games that I thought he played pretty decent in. Um, but when you look at the past few seasons, the, the road that he's been heading down the, the past like season or two, it, it just seems like it, the time is up. He's getting towards his his worst years of hockey or, that are remaining, and so I just feel like there's no reason to bring him back. Um, and so, despite Chris Letang's pull, I just don't think that's going to happen. Um, and then yeah. the other UFA on the team, well, Nick Benino's a UFA as well. I, he he might not even play what tomorrow, so it, it's a shame he only got to play three games back with the Penguins. R.I.P. Uh, Bones Ego. But Tristan Jari is the other big UFA. And to me, that's the one where this these these last two weeks really confirmed it to me. I don't want him as the starting goaltender moving forward. Because not only is he unreliable in the health department and he's so uh, injured all the time. He I don't know how many games he's played this year. Let me see. Because as a starting goaltender, I would expect you to, to start in... It's got to be thirty-five. Well, I don't know if this is counting all the games that he's played in, or it, it can't be the games he's played in because it says he's played in forty-six. Do we do we really think he's played in forty-six games? I mean, hmm. maybe that's the case, but I I just feel like it, he missed such a big chunk of the season. Now, granted, 50, 46 games—that's half that's, the season. I would I I yeah. I don't know. I I, I feel like it, it kind of got confirmed for me that watching him play and seeing him not even in the lineup for several times throughout the season, that I don't think Tristan Jari can be the starting goaltender moving forward because he's unreliable to be available. And he also shows unreliability when he's on the ice as well. There's several times throughout the past couple weeks, and we're talking about the past couple weeks, that it is critical to have good goaltending because you're trying to make the playoffs. And he wasn't able to make a save when the team needed it. And so I, I am kind is, of out on Tristan Jari. They couldn't, obviously, like they needed to to put the puck in the net more against the Blackhawks than they did. I mean, we're talking about Peter freaking Mrazek that they couldn't beat. Um, but at the same time, they asked Tristan Jari to do so little in that game, and he still gave up three. I mean, the Blackhawks didn't look dangerous really at any point in that game, and they still got three past him. Um, I, I, the biggest, like, thing that he has going for him in terms of his or potential return to the penguins is just like <clears throat> really a question is the grass greener or the uncertainty and the market like it's really not not about tristan himself it's just about can the penguins find another option because the goalie market stinks there's not many guys out there and at least like there's a familiarity level there with him 
I I wouldn't bring him back, like even if it meant, you know, there being a huge question mark going into the next season with somebody else, because I think the uncertainty is better than what we've seen the certainty with Tristan Jari B. Yeah, yeah, no, I, and I, I understand that. I I just I would like something new, and, and I feel like I've just gotten stale on Tristan Jari and the goaltending in Pittsburgh in general. I would love some new I blood. Just, it's amazing uh, because you look at, you know, gold. Now, I'm not talking about the top end guys. You, you know, the Vasilevskis, you say Soros. Um, why am I blind to Igor? Uh, I think Ilya Sorokin, who might win the Vezina, has put himself kind of in that conversation too. Uh, Hella Buck. Like, we're, I'm not talking about those guys, but goaltending that you can win with isn't that hard to come by in the Penguins. Can't find it. It's almost like the Steelers with off-ball linebacker. Yeah, no, I, th- that's that's true. I mean, in, in a sense, goaltending has really uh, hurt this team for. Yeah, well, okay, for, I thought you were saying, and it's kind of devalued around the league. Like, well, it, it is see, devalued. Yeah, um, but but goaltending in, ge- in general for this team specifically, like 2021, Jari killed the Penguins playoffs against the Islanders in the first round. 2022. Um, it was Louis Domingue who, who uh, yeah, who, but I mean, you know, the, the expectation really shouldn't have been there. I thought you were to say like, it kind of was like a Tristan Jari redemption tour up until the playoffs. And then well, he gets hurt. Been. Yeah. Yeah. It should have been. And, and he, he, he does get hurt and that's, it just goes with what I'm saying. He's not available when you need him. And then that's why I, like I said, I don't really have any, um, like names to really throw out right now, but I think they I got like one. They, I think they do too. I, I think they do too. And uh, Taylor, you know, Taylor's been saying throw picks at Nashville for UC Saros. What, you know, what in the world is that going to cost? I don't know, but I I like the idea. <laughs> I, I, I like the idea as well. Um, a couple guys that I would also like the idea of. Um, what's his name? Jeremy Swayman in oh, Boston. Yeah, offer sheet him. I know that it's not, you know, it's not yeah. a popular thing. It doesn't happen. I don't care. Jeremy Swamin in Boston. Do I look like a guy that's upset uh, about, that would be upset about making Boston mad. No, no. <laughs> and you know another guy that that I think is a RFA this year. Uh, maybe offer sheet him too. But I don't even know what what they're going to plan on doing because they already have another go- starting goaltender, Mackenzie Blackwood in New Jersey. I, I would be willing uh, to give him a shot as well. Um, just just he's because big, it's a, isn't he? Isn't he like six four? He's six four. Um, yeah. he, he, it, it, that would be new place for him, new blood for us. I, I would like that a lot because they have Vite, what Vitek, 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 yeah, ran so, away with that. It's supposed to be like an, a one A one B situation, but Vanacek's been that good. But yeah, you know, I, I just feel like this team could, could look very different next year in goal for starting goal. I feel like Casey Smith's not going anywhere. He has the one year left on his contract at 1.8 million. I mean, that's a little higher yeah. than I would like. But, you know, when it comes to being a backup, I can't really complain too much about Casey Nismith this season, especially when you compare it to what he did last year. Here's another thing that that I'll say about this. I would rather, and I know that it wouldn't go well because the more he plays, the worse he gets. I would rather have Casey Smith as the primary starter for one season than give Jari an extension. Because I would too. I would too. If it meant, you know, swallowing that pill for one year. And finding yeah. somebody else. No, I I agree absolutely because what what do you do with an extension with Jari? 
How long is this extension going to be? What do you do about years? I, I feel like at times, yeah, he's looked like he's worth $5 million a year, but that has been killed by how many games he misses and at times looks terrible and out of place and not being able to give you a save. I, I can't even begin well, here's the thing to is, think about where to start with a contract. Even if it's one year, you're talking about once again running it back with the same goaltending duo. That's a tough sell to your fan base and probably internally to the team. The players aren't going to say it, but they're going to be like, are you kidding me? Like, how many times is, is this going to sink the ship for us? Yeah, no, uh, honestly, I, I agree with you. I mean, if you're <laughs> if you are guys like like the, the ones that I mentioned that I want to keep around, like Sid, Malkin, Jake, Latang. What are you thinking whenever, like, how, how, what are they thinking? I, they're like, I carry this team, this sorry team all season. Look at the stat sheet. We, we carried this team and I got no help in my bottom six. I got no help in net. I got no help from my GM. They'll never say it, but if, if, if you're Sidney Crosby, what are you thinking? I feel like we need to break out the, the Mikey and Big Bob, the, the the what did they call it the mean Sydney Cross it was like a mean Sydney Crosby I forget what skit they called it um, I don't even know if I'm familiar with that I don't know if it's just on Twitter but I think it was Mikey would would tweet out some like different things as like Sydney Crosby's translator for what he actually means whenever whenever he's like saying something kind of like yeah, that Peel speech um or sketch but you know I I just feel like you have no confidence whatsoever in that goaltender behind you. And, and so that's one thing that I think for sure needs to change. Do I think it will change? That That's a tough question because of the what we were talking about, how the market looks, the trade value for other goaltenders. Um, yeah. But then again, a new GM might think very differently than we are. And Ron Hextall that's hopefully is not going to be here. But, but the Penguins, as it stands right now, have projected $20.2 million of cap space. Going into this offseason, I mean, even though it's yeah, not they they're, they're have bad man. contracts, that's what I'm saying. And that that's why I'll, I'll, I'll finish what I'm talking about with. I will solidify my stance that unless you're unless you're going to use that first round pick to trade, for example, UC Soros or something like that, I am willing to give up the 2023 first round pick to get rid of Mikhail Granlin because at worst. It, it lets you entertain the idea of bringing back a Jason Zucker on, on some sort of contract. I don't know what that contract looks like in terms of years and money, but at least it lets you entertain the idea. Right now, that that idea is basically slammed shut, nailed in the coffin because you don't have enough money to be able to bring him back and then fill all the other slots throughout the team. But I would definitely be willing to trade away the first-round pick for Granlin. And I feel like anybody who isn't on board with that needs to open their eyes because you just saw what your your core did to you this season. They still have it, and I feel like forget the future right now. You don't even know what that future is going to pan out. Look at Sam Poulin. Don't know when he's going to make the NHL. And I hate to like harp on a guy like that, but I'm just using him as an example. He was a first-round pick. It's one of the fir- few first-round picks. He was, he was one of the yeah. first few first-round picks that we had in 2019. He's still not in the NHL, so you never know if that pick is going to even make it to the NHL. But I know I'd rather have five million dollars. So 
give me the $25.2 million in cap space instead of the $20.2 million in cap space and attach a first-round pick with Mikhail Granlin and send him anywhere. I mean, honestly, that that might be one of the worst trades I've seen the Penguins do in a long time in terms of what you got productivity from that player. One goal, and it came in garbage time against the Flyers in a game that was already out of hand. So, um, yeah, the last thing I want to say is I was just thinking about this um, in terms of just, once again, speaking to the the incredible playoff run this team has gone on. So, Sid, obviously, it was Sid's rookie year the last time they missed the playoffs, but Gino and Latang weren't in the NHL at that point. So, they've never missed the playoffs. They've never missed this. the playoffs. Yep. Yeah. That's crazy. And here we are. That's crazy. And I wonder how Sid's going to take it because I know every year he hangs a picture of the yeah. Stanley Cup winner in Actually, his Actually, I have one thing to ask. In his house. So, um losers again going back to losers mentality here. Maybe because, you know, they still were productive this year. If there is any type of silver lining, I don't think that they are guys that need to have that competitive fire lit every season. But can you imagine what they're going to come out like next year after missing the playoffs for the first time? I I, I hope they're pissed. I, I genuinely do. I know the players are going to be, but I hope the team plays plays pissed off. Um, you know, it, it, it's something that when we think about like people having like revenge tours and stuff like that, we've never had this type of revenge tour with the Penguins. <laughs> I mean. I, yeah. I hope I hope that it, it really lights a fire under them and that we see another great season from the core, but an even better season from the Penguins. Um, you know, it's that's the thing that just keeps getting me is you just you don't know when that clock's going to strike midnight for those guys. And it might be next year, but it wasn't this year. And you still didn't get to the playoffs. And that's why I'm willing to to move on from that first round pick. I'll go back to that. If they're yeah. still, pre- if Malkin and, and Sid are still point per play, point per game players, then over point per game players actually. So yeah, yeah. But you know, I, I think currently in the uh, NFL and or NFL NHL draft, I think we're we'll be at fourteen or fifteen, I th- believe. So you know, lottery. You might you might pull a uh, Philadelphia in the twenty. What was that? Twenty seventeen draft. I think they were they were at the fifteenth best odds, and they got the second overall pick. Yeah. So, you know, you you never know what's going to happen. They'll probably fin- end up with the fifteenth or fourteenth pick anyway. But Connor Bedard, you know, I <laughs> I don't know. But you literally just lost to the leader in the Connor Bedard sweepstakes, and mm-hmm. then you you're going to play the new leader because the other one beat you in the Connor Bedard sweepstakes tomorrow night or tonight or yesterday, whatever you end up listening to this podcast. Um, I don't even know if I'm going to watch that game tomorrow. I'll be honest. I, I, I don't have interest now. I, I genuinely don't. I mean, There's nothing to play for. I have, I don't have, I might, inter- I, I might watch this the is, pirates. This, this is the dog days of September where there's, there's nothing on in the weekends. Hockey hasn't started. The pirates are 30 games under 500 and I just don't want to do it. I don't want to yeah. watch them. This is well, game 82. There's nothing to play for. I I literally, this is my, probably my first time I could ever feel like I don't have interest in watching a Penguin game. Yeah, for me, 
Cavs playoff start at six and the Bucks play at seven forty five or something like that. So like Yeah, it, it's easy decision to watch the Pirates for me, especially yeah. since they're playing with the Cardinals. However, because I live in Oklahoma, I don't know if it's gonna be blacked out because St. Louis is close to me. Because the oh. Houston Astros games I couldn't watch on MLB TV. Be the the past three games because because they were blacked out. So I'm wondering I, if those stupid. I wonder if those are blacked out too. Because you know, whenever I lived in Utah for hockey, the Colorado Avalanche and the Las Vegas Golden Knights were blacked out. So anytime we played those two teams, we couldn't watch it. MLB is ridiculous with their blackout restrictions and stuff. But uh, anyways, yeah, that's it as far as the Penguins go. About 40 minutes of talk here on the Penguins. I think you know that could be as expected when you. Think about the magnitude of what just took place with the Penguins missing the playoffs for the first time yeah. uh, in a very long time. Maybe we'll try to get somebody on soon, maybe next week, maybe the next week after that, to talk about what they think is going to happen and what just what what did we witness? Can they explain better what we <laughs> witnessed throughout this 2022-23 season? Yeah. Um, I just need to know how for like three straight years now this team has been in the bottom five and finishing despite the talent that they have. Um, all right, but moving on to the Steelers now. I want to ask you if you think anything of this. Pretty random for them to just release Jameer Jones like this out of nowhere. Um, he actually finished last year as their edge three because of Malik Reed's lack of productivity. Jameer Jones kind of took over that spot. He'd been a guy that played special teams. Um they actually just recently gave him a new contract for 2023 and then they release him, you know, two weeks before the draft. I don't know if there's a move coming. Jerry Dulac says it's not like an imminent thing with Bud Dupree. I think like a lot of people just were assuming it was when they saw that news. Uh, is this like them saying we're definitely going this route in the draft, but either way, like why make this move now? I mean, where, where's your head at with this? Because I can't wrap my head around the timing of releasing Jameer Jones on this very random Tuesday or Wednesday. The only one to me that would have made sense was Bud Dupree. I, I thought, okay, that's Bud Dupree's music. Um, but I don't see how this makes sense for the draft just because Jameer Jones wasn't like someone that was really completing for a lot of playing time. And granted it will open up a roster spot for that position, but for, for guys that I would like to draft at that position in the draft, um, those are guys that are going to be competing for like starting minutes. So, you know, I, I, I don't wait. See... Why not wait till after the draft and then release? Like, if you really need the spot that bad when you sign this guy to, like, you yeah. don't have to have fifty-three guys right at the draft. Like, that's the thing. Right. So... Right. And I, I, I don't know. That's why to me it's hard to feel like this isn't Bud Dupree, even though Jerry Dulac said that. Just because it's written on the wall by this point. We know he was in Pittsburgh for that visit. It just seems like it's written in the stars already. Bud unless Dupree is going to be a Pittsburgh Steeler. Yeah, like unless there was something that was bad on his physical, I still feel like by the time that we get to you know camp, he's going to end up being a Steeler. I just, yeah, I was very surprised to see him like kind of roll that out immediately. Um, and, and like say what you will about Dulac, but like, Trust me, he is somebody that is certainly well connected, more well connected. He has one source that matters above all else. Um, so I, I don't think he's just throwing stuff against the wall here. Now, if you ask him for like opinionated stuff, yeah, I don't know that he's got like the best actual football mind. 
Um, but you know, here I, I will take his opinion to heart and say, okay, nothing is imminent with Bud Dupree, uh, at least at this time. Now, maybe they have the idea that there's, it's going to be, and it's just like, not literally right now, but again, then why make this move right now? I, it's just, it's really weird timing. Yeah. I, it, it doesn't really make sense to me. Um, at, at least in the terms of it's it, nothing's happening. Like, like when it's happened, but if Bud Dupree is not signing and you're doing it a couple weeks before the draft, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. I mean, you're just hurting Jameer Jones feelings at this point. So maybe, I mean, it, what it could be, because it sounded like he was just saying nothing is specific. Like there's nothing specific that this is for, because he said it's not for Bud Dupree or any outside linebacker for that matter, but they're going to need to add, they're going to need to add an outside linebacker. Well, yeah, but like, so, so how is that not the imminent move? I, I don't know. Yeah. Why are you just releasing a guy for no reason? And then like down the road, going to replace him. Very odd. Unless it, something it happened like away from football with him that we don't know about. I, it's just really random. It, it's uh, very random. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep thinking that spots for Bud Dupree unless the physical came back and they just said, listen, you're fat now. You can't play. Uh, <laughs> and I know that's not the only thing that physicals are for. They they are for actual like health reasons too. But Yeah, we know, you know like with him, it would probably have to be something popping up with his knee. If, if yeah. he were, yes. So I don't know. Super random, but it's also not a move that it's like, eh, I don't care. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry you're cut, but I don't really care. Um, For every subtraction... There can be an addition as well. Now, we talked about them releasing Jameer Jones. They signed another defensive lineman. So, like, you know, last week when we talked about the addition of Braden Fajoko, uh, we really like that from a depth perspective. What about a guy like Armin Watts, who they bring in? Former sixth-round pick. He's been with Minnesota, uh, also with the Chicago Bears. Um, I, I, I like it, again, from a depth perspective. But he's not moving the needle. Like if they still want to add a top tier defensive lineman, I don't think that this is going to make them shy away from it. I do think going back to last week's conversation, when you got at a guy like Fahoko who plays in that like one tech spot, that's probably his best spot. I think that could take like a Ika off the board for them, but like a Gervon Dexter, Keanu Benton, those guys could still very much be in play. And I'd say the same thing, you know, after this signing, like this isn't moving the needle for, for me enough to the point where I'm saying like, oh, this changes draft needs. Yeah. And I mean, it's a guy that has some experience. He started in 12 games last year in Minnesota, um, which mm -hmm. I did actually didn't know about. That's that kind of impressed me. But at the same time, it doesn't really move the needle for being a starter. It's not going to be someone that you expect to be a starter or play some of those snaps when it comes to playing on Sundays. But I, I think in, in terms of security at the position, it at least helps with that. Um, with, with the off chance of injuries and everything like that, you're, you're securing more depth. But I don't think this really changes, at least in terms of defense, strictly defensive tackle. If you're looking at nose tackle, that changed last week, we think, when it comes to the draft. But it, any defensive tackle that they want to take on their board, I feel like this isn't a move that's going to do so. And I feel like defensive tackle, despite bringing back Ogan Joby and securing some of the, the some of the depth that you have, like Cam Hayward's still not getting any younger. And I feel like it could still be a bigger big priority in the draft to this team just because it's it's, it's a 
position that you're going to need to help replenish. Um, and I feel like this this move isn't necessarily replenishing it. It's kind of just staying standing pat and, and more securing the spot for right now. But you're going to want to re- replenish it with better players, and I don't think this move does it, and I don't think it really changes what the Steelers should do in terms of the position when it comes to the drafts or even throughout free agency um, just because of where he's going to be playing or how much he would be playing. I, I want to, I'm just looking at his pro re- football reference page here. Um, really wild to me looking at 2021 though. I don't know if these are just inflated, but he had five sacks in 2021. He also had, uh, 10 QB hits. Hmm. 46 combined, uh, tackles. I mean, if he would have been, uh, he only signed for one year in Chicago after that. So obviously like, I mean, that was in nine starts too. He played in every game, but just nine starts having five sacks as like a rotational interior defensive guy. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. I wonder what is. happened that he only had one the following year. And he only has eight total in his career. So yeah, obviously like, that's an outlier season. But um, yeah, people were talking about kind of like the pass rush juice he can provide from the inside potentially. And really just one year of production there be interesting i I mean obviously yeah he's not gonna have a huge role but if you're just talking about a guy to come in and play you know 15 or so snaps on the inside i mean a guy that has had a five sack season i think you could do a lot worse one of those sacks came against pittsburgh i I just went back oh and that uh that thursday night game yeah yeah i went back to look at the game logs and uh one of the the last sack of the season that he had came against pittsburgh also had two quarterback hits in that game Nice, what twenty nine nothing at one point that game? Did yeah. get, wait? Did he did get to thirty something nothing? And then we. I don't think back. it got was, to thirty something okay. nothing. All right. Yeah, then but almost coming all the way back. That was the, the clay pool. That was the clay pool game. Celebrating the first down with time. Yeah, that that was the. <laughs> uh, I, I watched that game at a restaurant called the Italian or Italian Village in Murray, Utah. Because my aunts and uncles and cousins, we all went to eat there after that's going to sound dark, but after my grandpa's viewing, uh, <laughs> but, but I had the, my, my cousin Austin and I, who was, is my co-host for uh, the sports weekly podcast, BYU uh, football podcast. Um, we had the game up on our phones. I remember that specifically. This is supposed to be no free ads. Shouting yeah, no. out of the podcast. <laughs> um, but and then the last thing I wanted to talk about with the Steelers, uh, this isn't necessarily like news. Like teams are going to talk ahead of the draft, anyways. Like we would assume there's going to be conversations with the Steelers and maybe all 31 other teams in terms of moving up, moving down, just getting a gauge of what it would cost if they want to do that. Um, but for some reason, there's been a ton of buzz about the Steelers and Bears. They've already made a trade recently with Ryan Poles. The Chase Claypool trade, I just mentioned him, but for the 32nd overall pick, or what turned into, they wouldn't have known that at the time, but turned into the 32nd overall pick. Yeah. Um, there was a, a bootleg football with Brett Coleman and EJ. Uh, EJ is a Bears guy, and he was talking about he definitely knows for sure the Steelers and Bears have talked about a move where the Steelers would go up to nine for 17, and obviously additional draft capital would have to be involved. I don't know that they that like GMs actually looked at that trade value chart and they're like, okay, we got to give them these picks for these picks. Like it, it's really going to be supply and demand. 
So if other teams are trying to move up, obviously you're going to have to include more. I will say, just for the sake of conversation, 17 and 49, 4 and 9 is only 10 points off in terms of that value chart. So pretty even. Um, it makes sense, though, because if a guy like you know Paris Johnson, who could very well be the first tackle off the board, slides all the way to 9, I have two questions here. One, why in the world would the Bears not just stick at that pick and take the guy? Paris Johnson because they could absolutely <laughs> use him and two to me it's going to cost a lot more than just that because you have a ton of other teams calling not just Pittsburgh but if I'm talking about guys that like are going to make me on this live stream jump out of my chair like Paris Johnson Christian Gonzalez if the Steelers trade up for either one of those two guys I'm I got a bar to my left and I don't know if anything's going to be left on it after the light <laughs> you know, I, okay. So I'll go back to the two questions that you asked yourself. One, yeah, sorry, why was... would the why would the Bears not take them? Um, yeah. Because they're a poverty franchise <laughs> who has a mobile quarterback and doesn't believe in protecting them. That's that's why. Yeah, like at some point it's got to be like they just keep acquiring this draft capital and stuff. Right? At some point you got to actually use that to get players. Yeah, but I mean they <laughs> traded down from one, so I feel like they're easy to convince to trade down from nine. Um, Maybe. Yeah, no, if they're up there and they're going to take and I I didn't even think about Christian Gonzalez, to be honest, the the only name that came to my mind was Paris Johnson Jr. uh, for for trading Mm -hmm. up to that point. I would love either of those guys. um, But I feel like the case, I think it would be Paris. I just I I mentioned Christian because he's the only other guy that I would trade up for like that. Yeah, I mean, I feel like Christian Gonzalez is easily the number one corner in this draft. Um, and I feel like Paris is easily the number one left the number tackle. One tackle. Yep. And, and, and I, when it comes to capital that you'd have to give up, despite what the, the program says, it being like 10 points off with what'd you say? 17 and 49, 17, and 49, I, I, I would feel like you would have to throw in maybe even a late one of your late round picks this year. And then possibly like a, a third or fourth next year in, in, in a draft to get I'm up thinking- to nine, just because I feel like it, you don't hold any of the cards in that situation. Yeah, you're showing your hand. They know who you want, and they can. It's just a supply and demand. You kind of have to pay what they want. Hear me out on this: seventeen forty nine in a third next year, for nine in a fifth next year. I mean, shoot, I'd take it. If they're if that's the pick, if that that's for sure what would happen is they would take Paris Johnson Jr. I I would do that. Because mm-hmm. I just feel like that position, that guy is That's so valuable. He is so valuable in this year's draft. I mean, he's the only one out of the first round tackles that I'm like, I would trade up for. He's a surefire you know starter he's playing from day on the left one. Side. Yep. And you know he's playing on the left side. I, I feel like that is the for sure pick if you were trading up. That's the guy you go get. Mm-hmm. And I'm comfortable trading away that draft capital. Um whether the Steelers are, no idea, but I, I, I think that there's a world that that could happen. I mean, I've, I've, I've flirted with the idea of trading up with a couple different teams um, and trading up all the way to nine to be able to take him. That I feel like that would be like a dream come true just because while I would be open to taking some of these guys like a Dewan Jones, like an Anton Harris, like some of these other like tackles around like the 32 or pick 32 range, 
Um, the only one that I would want to take in the first round, even though 32 should be a first round pick, would be Broderick Jones at 17. But I still think there's higher valuable players at different positions that you could take at 17. The one that you're not going to get any higher value for is Paris Johnson. And, and I feel like if you could, if you have the opportunity to trade up for, and you know that this guy is going to be a for sure starter from day one, you need to do it. I'll be honest. I said I have like Paris Johnson to me is the only guy I know for sure day one he could play left tackle. Anton Harrison's actually my tackle too, because I don't know that Skaronsi's going to play tackle, and Broderick Jones has a crazy ceiling. He's only played one year at left tackle at Georgia, and he held up very well in the SEC. But I think the thing with him is sometimes his hands get too far split. Uh, he his leverage isn't great. He doesn't have a great anchor. There, there's times where just like technically he's not there, and as a one year starter, I, I was totally hoping the Mel Kiper voice was going to break out. <laughs> not yet. I'm saving it for draft night. Um, but I think he's probably a year away from playing like at a high level on the left side of an NFL offensive line. So I would be very worried about like I can temper my expectations. I have no idea how a large portion of the Steelers fan base would be if that guy struggles from day one. And to be quite honest with you, I don't know that Tomlin lets him play from day one on the left side like that. So to me, it's Paris Johnson at left tackle at 17 or like, yeah, I mean, if you can get Anton Harrison at 32, I'm cool with that because like I said, he's my tackle too. I think, you know, even with a little, like there's some concerns about the arm length, though there was like some mismeasurement there or something at the combine. Um, I think the footwork's really good. It might even be better than Paris's. Uh, I don't know that he's going to play on the left side right away. And then everybody else is like, a, is really good right tackles. Darnell right, right tackle. He's not going to play the left side. Uh, zero chance to Juan Jones is going to play the left side. Skaronsky don't know if he's going to play tackle at all. Like you're getting into guys that you know they kind of have like that defined role for sure. Paris has played four spots really well. One of those being left tackle. I think he's a day one left tackle, and for that reason, in this draft class, where I don't even love a good portion of the draft class, everybody's talking about it. I don't know that anybody has even 100 players that they have as draftable grades. Kuiper and McShay were talking about it. They have seven. They think there's only 75 or 80 players in this class that are worth drafting. It's not a good draft class. Draft class. There's a ton of guys that are go that are good value on day two. I wish the Steelers didn't have a first round pick, to be quite honest with you. And they just had like seven on day two, because that's where all the value is going to be. Yeah, yeah. No, I I can fully understand that. Um, there's a lot of top end guys in round one. Um, but outside of that, I mean, honestly, yeah, well, that's why, okay. I should preface by saying, because they pick at 17, if you're getting yeah. Paris Johnson jr. 100% sign me up. Yeah. And you know, what's funny enough is like this quarterback class. I mean, the draft overall last year is probably better, but I when you so. compare, when you compare quarterback classes, this one like blows last year's out of the water, especially just like the top two mm-hmm. blows, blows the entire class of last year out of the water. Where do you think um, Kenny would be in this year's draft class? See, to me, it depends on how much you value stability in, in, in your quarterback rankings. Because obviously, like I think he'd be like the Hendon. Like I really think that he would still he would be QB five. And yeah, he, he would go yeah. in the first round. I, I think that I, I, I think that he would still go in the first round. I, I think I'd probably still have I mean, for sure, young Stroud. Richardson, just because of the athletic athleticism and upside, he would definitely be ahead of him. And then Will Levis, I feel like just because of his arm and accuracy, will be be would would definitely be ahead of him. 
um, because uh, yeah, because I'm, I'm basically asking arm. how the, we know how the NFL feels about those guy with those those guys with those traits. So I'm not asking you specifically about like where Teddy would be for you. I'm asking with the NFL, and yeah, I, I think yeah. it's for sure behind those four. No, I think I, it's I think a conversation. He'd be right after Levis. Yeah, is it him or Hooker? Is five basically is what I'm asking. I would I would say he's right after Levis, especially if you're if you're including like if he just transferred his 2021 season over to last year and he's entering the draft. And he's a Heisman finalist still, and all on all that grat that jazz. He won the ACC. I feel like that's going to have a boost to it, and so I, I still think that he'd still behind Levis just because the NFL and their scouts really value big arms, and we we see what guys combines and pro days can do with some of these with these throwing drills, and how impressed scouts can be. And how much, I mean, and look at what it did for Zach Wilson. Not that Zach Wilson wasn't going to be the number one, two or number two pick overall in the 2021 draft. But when you look at the throw that he had at his pro day from then on out, it wasn't even questioned if he was going to be the number oh, two yeah. pick. Yeah, Everybody he, knew it was going to be him. I think, I think for a while, you know, there was some conversation. Is it going to be him or fields as the second guy off the boards? And yeah. then we saw Lance even go before fields too. So, mm-hmm. and that's, that's how I feel about Levis, like Levis, Big arm, really impressed in the throwing throwing drills, and so that's why I'd still put Kenny behind him. But the, he's absolutely top four, shredded too. He, oh, Will Levis? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, he, yeah, he is. Um, but I was about to ask like where you think some of the like how what the order of how they get drafted goes, but I guess we could save that for our actual mock drafts that we'll be doing against each other. Plug. Um, we'll be doing mock drafts <laughs> against each other and. So we're going to, I'm still not sure how the scoring is going to go, like what the point system will be, but we're going to do points based off of a first round mock draft that Smitty and I are going to create. And it's, um, we're going to do the entire mock. And if we get points for the correct team, but wrong spot, correct spot, correct team. Um, if we predict a trade though, that'll be a, a, a correct points. You know, there's going to be, there's going to be a point system for all of it. And, the winner of that, instead, in past years, we've done like a random retweeter. Uh, we'll we'll get a jersey, and the the winner of this, or I guess the loser of this, this is what I should be explaining. We'll have to buy the jersey for whoever wins the first round pick selection this year for the Steelers. So, tell me if this makes sense. I just I'm setting this up in my phone right now, trying to as we go through this, talk through it. One point for getting a correct player in round one. So you'll get one point for literally everybody that you say gets picked in round one, regardless of if it's to that team. Yeah. Uh, another point for calling a trade. If you have somebody trade up that the pick doesn't have to be right, but if they trade to that spot, you get a point for that. Um, three points. Now, for- does it, is it, if you have, if you're predicting the trade, like just the team that is trading up or you have to predict who they're trading with. What spot they're like? So, say the Raiders trade to three, because I now, feel like you, you should get one point for if they trade at all, okay. and then you get additional points if you trade right. with, and you predict who they trade with. Okay. All right. So one point for calling that a team makes a trade. Yeah. Okay. Uh, three points for the right player in a spot, and then five points for the right player and right team connected. So the exact correct pick yeah i think that makes sense so one player for the right for a player draft in the first round one one point for a trade and you get an additional point if you also pick the team and then three players for right team wrong spot 
and then five points right team right spot yes Anyway, all of this is to say that we're doing a live show on nights one and two of the NFL mock draft, but this is going to be for night one only. We're not going to do a three-round mock draft individually, um, but that would be crazy. But we're going to do round one, and the loser has to buy whoever wins the jersey, the the, the first-round selection, whoever it may be. I'm hoping. While I was that doing that, Johnson you might have jersey. said, did you say how they're going to win the jersey, though? I did not. Okay. So we're going to do it differently this year. In the past, what we've done is you guys predict who's going to be the first round pick. Last year, quite a few people said Kenny Pickett. So not as many as Malik Willis. That could have been even worse. But quite a few people said Kenny Pickett. Then we had to go to rounds two and three as a tiebreaker. Oddly enough, you guys are good. Somebody had George Pickens and DeMarvin Leal as the second and third round picks. Um, But this year, what we're going to do differently is everybody is going to be Drew Hannis. You're going to send us a video reacting to the Steelers first round pick. Whichever one we like the most is going to be the winner. And then whoever loses our mock draft challenge head to head is going to buy the person with our favorite reaction video, a jersey of that first round pick. And that's how there it's going to work go. this year. There you go. But anyway, tune in to those live shows. We are almost two weeks away. It's it's a lot of fun to just just hang out. What the, the chat will be open. Um, just just w- act like you're watching the draft with us. So it'll be us, um, some of our friends. You know, you know. Yeah, Joe, Joe will Joe not and be Drew. here. Oh, Joe he will won't be, be. What a loser. He's got a family wedding, and he's literally like, it's not that day, obviously, but that's the night that he leaves. So he'll be on a plane. Whatever. So we got but Drew, Drew will be in here. Sarge, Platts. Um, oh, did Platt get off work? I thought that uh, was he'll a be joining problem. at some. He'll be joining at some point, regardless. Okay. Um, I'm not sure who else because I was talking to Eddie. I think might be doing going to Jordan's house. She invited me as well. Actually, I might be doing a live. I might do this live from Jordan's because she's having smash burgers and stuff. So she said I could set up there if I really wanted to. I've been thinking about it. I'm tossing the idea back and forth. So that's potentially. I, mean, I might have a different background, and we might have a live audience. So we'll see if that happens. But either way. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. So nights one and two of the draft, April 27th and 28th, we will be here. You should be here with us. We'll see what the Steelers do. One last thing to mention about the Steelers, just because it happened today and I'm connected to it and it makes absolutely no sense to me. What did Chris Hope Uh, do? No, no, no. Chris Hope didn't (laughs) do anything. Um, Jaron Hall visited with the Steelers today. BYU quarterback. Mm -hmm. Uh, why? (laughs) <laughs> yeah where so i mean unless i think he's gonna go higher than round seven but i do think the Steelers are gonna draft a quarterback i think they're gonna draft their backup quarterback all right so here's my uh well mitch is gonna be the backup but i'm saying you only got him for one year so like yeah well here i i don't think i don't i think jaron's gonna be taken before they will i do too want, i think he'll i think he'll go I mean, in like because they four, after like, round four you don't have a round five or six pick so you'd have to wait till round seven and i just don't see that happening um maybe maybe no, they move up at no some way. point in day three but anyway i just feel like that's probably an unlikely possibility but another shameless plug uh for for the byu site vanquish of that i'm writing i'm going to be creating three byu player mock drafts so the, the there's a few players that are, are pretty like 
consistently drafted in mock drafts for BYU players. And the one, my first one's going to come out tomorrow or today when you're listening to it or yesterday when you're listening to it. Um, but the, the first one is going to be based on probably the, the ideal situation for each of the players that I think will be drafted, like what team they, they would be the best to go to. And then my second one will be the least ideal situation for each of them. And then on uh, Thursday, on the day, day one of the draft, I'm going to release my, what I think is the actual prediction for where these players are going to go to. There's only like three players, but. I, I just thought yeah, it was a so fun what, idea to talk Freeland, about. Freeland, Putin, Nakua, and Jaron? Yeah, and I, I might even throw in um, in, in one of them a, a, a late seventh-round pick for a corner they have, Caleb Hayes, just because his RAS score was like the 24th highest since they started doing mm. RAS at his pro day. All the for, guys for, for the last couple of years just keep blowing those up. Like, Yeah, I, I, the, and the, specifically... He has a 40-inch vertical, and he ran a 4.31 at his pro day. So in the seventh round, and just this is quick reasoning why, and we're over an hour into the show, so who cares? People stop listening at this point. But Not even getting the Pirates talk. <laughs> but at that point in the draft, most teams aren't drafting off needs, and they're just drafting off traits that they think they can develop into athletes. So I think someone will look at it. Hey, he ran a 4.31 and look at the other traits that he had at his pro day, because I, I, I wrote about his pro day, like three winners from his pro day on that, that BYU site as well, of anxious the foe. And his was, when you compared it to combine, he was consistently in, in several of the, the um, drills in the top, like two to five players that would have been at the combine. So I think just mm. purely off athleticism, I think there's a team, there's a chance that a team could, take him just as a flyer because at that point in the draft, it's unlikely that they make the team anyway. So who cares? This whole thing has been about the ideal situations for those guys, right? To me, the ideal situation for him, as opposed to going at some point in the seventh round is go undrafted. You can pick where you go. Oh, I know that that's, <laughs> that's the ideal situation. Yeah. But I, I just look at like some of the guys that have been drafted. And I'm, I mean, I'm talking specifically about BYU in like, late seventh round, like Chris Wilscox, who was a corner a couple years yeah. ago, who he got name. drafted. It, guy. Yeah. If he can, if he can get drafted um, in the seventh round, then I think that Caleb Hayes could as well. Also, Michael Davis from the chargers, another BYU yeah. guy. Oh, nice. Okay. Uh, anyways. Yeah. If you nice knew, this is also draft. a BYU show. Yeah. Uh, nice one to the draft right here at around the 412. Um, we'll be doing a live show. So excited for that. Also, we're going to be doing a full uh, first round mock draft with some of our friends. We've been doing it for, I think this will be the fourth year that we've done it now. Uh, we know Jake Savank will be joining us for sure. And Richie still waiting to hear back from the other two bums. Uh, but Donnie's so busy now doing everything that he covers, like every team in Arizona at this point. So don't know if he's going to join and I haven't heard back from Nate yet, but either way, four of us will be here for sure. Probably do that the week of the draft last year. We did it literally the night before I went back and watched that. Like we actually called a good bit of stuff that happened. So I'm not saying, I'm just saying maybe you want to check it out this year. If you didn't last year, Um, let's talk about the pirates real quick to wrap things up. I say real quick, but I think one of these topics could create some conversation because it sucks a lot of the reason that you want to watch the 2023 pittsburgh pirates is probably because of o'neill cruz and uh 
his season per se might not be over. We'll see when he's able to return, but he fractures left ankle in a play at the plate, a uh, collision with a catcher for the white Sox. I literally say a catcher because I don't know who the hell he is. He's some backup bum that was running his mouth afterwards. Uh, the play was fine. The play was clean. He didn't necessarily do anything wrong, but then he's chirping O'Neill afterwards while he's laying on the ground. Didn't seem very upset or broken up about the injury. Even afterwards in the locker room, he said he thinks people will just forget about it. No. Uh, but anyway, so O'Neill's going to miss some significant time, probably about 10 weeks and a uh, huge blow for the team. Just for like, you know, the excitement that you have for the the year pirates fans and baseball fans. I mean, I've seen non pirates fans pretty upset about, you know, this injury just because it's, you never know how a guy's going to come back. I mean, you hope O'Neill comes back and is as exciting as he has been up to this point. That's, you know, you're hoping that, but you don't know that for sure. And again, just, I think the excitement that was kind of built by the way, seven and five so far, the pirates through four series, kind of the excitement that's been built up to that point. A lot of that was lost with that injury. And uh, I don't know how you feel about it, but man, it just, it sucks for him. It sucks for the pirates. It just, there's no like silver lining here to me other than the fact it wasn't season ending. Yeah. I mean, he said, it said that it was going to be what three to four months before he could return to action. Now, when I hear return he's to gonna action, he'll be, be rehabbing. Yeah. That, to yeah. me, that means like he's not going to return in three to four months. He'll probably return in like five months, but he'll have to rehab it before and everything like that. But yeah, I, the only silver lining to me that at least from the injury standpoint that I see outside of his season's not over is that it was a broken bone and not anything to do with like, like ligaments, ligaments or stuff like yeah. that, or even sprains. I feel like a lot of times can be worse than, than broken bones just because they, they linger more. Once a broken bone is healed, most often it might change you as a player, but at least for the bone itself, it's not going to linger. It should go back to being normal. Um, hopefully on no cruise is fine. I mean, you see, he has great defense. That's my main thing that I think that would be affected by this, his his ability to to get a the jump off the ball movement. and the lateral yeah. movement side to side. I don't, I don't know because it wasn't – I don't even know. Was it technically his ankle or was it his fibula, like the, the shin bone that broke? Um, I don't that, know. I, 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 don't I, know. Thought they, I thought it said it was his fibula, but I don't know if like a broken ankle is also your fibula. Because there's not really technically like an ankle bone. It's it's just the leg bone getting down it's into not the ankle. on the phone. Yeah. So I don't know. It, there's really no silver lining to it outside of that. Um, it, it does suck for the Pirates because the momentum that they were gaining, it was contagious. And he was a huge part of that. I mean, for a few of the games, when, when the bats weren't really going, it seemed like him, Reynolds, and McCutcheon were the only people that were able to keep the offense going at certain times. And so to have that blow um, come against you, it just sucks because not only for the how good this team could be with him in the lineup, but for what this does to like the fan base as well and for things that you were wanting to watch. O'Neill Cruz is someone to go to the ballpark on a a Monday night in May just, just to go watch because he is in the lineup. That, that he's one of those players that attracts people to go to the ball club and bo ballpark and watch him play. So that, from that standpoint, sucks that he's not going to be in the lineup for the foreseeable future and probably not until, I would guess, at least the earliest is August at, at this point. Um, like I, yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to like speculate on anything, but I'm just looking at like how long it could take to heal, how long it could take to rehab. 
I, w- I would guess probably August. And who knows what the Pirates are going to be doing at that point. But you <laughs> right. did mention they are 7-5, four series into the season, which I feel like is way better than all of us probably would have expected. Um, and the series I probably would have said like 5-7, and seven, like flipped from where it's at, yeah. Yeah, and I, I would still call that way better. And just, just because you look at how the series have gone, you would have liked that first series to at least been flipped, maybe like go two and one instead of one and two against the Reds. But then when you when you look at the series that you had against Boston and you swept them, and then the third series uh against the White Sox, you're able to win two out of two out of three. And then the Astros won, you lost two out of three. But the defending world cha- or, or World Series, I was about to say World Cup champions, Argentina, um, the defending World Series champions, it, it's really hard for me to complain about the outcome of that series. But I think overall, I, I, I think that this team has really showed that they can compete with uh, really, really any given night and against any team. I look at what they did um, the other night with the G Juan Bay walk-off. G-Man Choi got his first home run as a pirate. That was a fun game against the Astros. I I think that this is what we've asked for is a team that's willing to compete and really just give it their all and have fun when they're playing baseball. And and it's, it's contagious as a fan to watch that. I mean, I I watched the uh, tweet that the the pirates put out of the G Juan Bay walk off in the Korean announcer. And, And I'm like, that is so much fun. Like I, when I hear that, it, it's like I just started laughing because like this is just fun. Like to me, that mm-hmm. that's so it's that's all it is, um, because I I just think that this this team it has been a lot of fun to start the season. So that there's not much more I can ask for. The fact that they're seven and five, I I think that's that's a, a tribute to how they've been performing. I would have thought that they no, I, I changed my mind. I, w- I would have thought they were going to be four and eight because I would have given them two wins against the Reds one win in each of the Red Sox and White Sox series and getting swept by the Astros. So, yeah, they are doing yeah. significantly better than I would have expected through four yeah. series. Yeah, so seven and five, that's pretty good. Now, they play the Cardinals, which I should be worried about, but the, are the Cardinals still in last place in the Central? I, I, they good were, question. They were going into today. So I don't know if they still are. Um, but... That's another another game. Nah, that, like uh, they, they're five and seven. Uh, the Reds are oh, four five and, seven. and seven. Okay, okay. Anyway, despite the record, that's still going to be a tough match. Um, yeah, I think if you split there in, in St. Louis. Um, but I'm excited to see how they do because that's going to be your top notch competition, at least what you would expect for um, the division. So. I, I, right. I think it could be fun, but the, the the thing that really sucks and what we've been talking about to start the pirate segment is just oh having not having Ono Cruz being there, that's just going to be a real damper on. I, I think more specifically the offense. I think they'll be able to get some good enough defense from from players that it won't be a significant drop off from Cruz. But the bat, I think, is what you're going to miss the most. And I feel like that's an obvious answer, but it, I feel like it has to be said. Like, this is a guy that we were expecting to hit several home runs, several RBIs, and and be one of the, the main contributors to this offense. And now you're not going to have him for the majority of the season. So that's a that's a hurt that I feel like is going to have to be made up by a, a uh, co- contribution from several players throughout the lineup and not just like one or two significant players you're going to have to get that you're going to have to replace that 
kind of like the Moneyball aspect. We need we need three guys with an on base percentage of three sixty. I'm not asking for three sixty, but we need we need several guys, especially in the bottom half of our lineup, that are going to be batting more consistently and getting getting uh, more contribution into the offense more consistently. Yeah, I mentioned. Uh, well, you mentioned Jiwan. Uh, he's going to be a big part of that. I think you know Rodolfo Castro is going to have to take on quite a bit of of that work as well. So. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, you know, you're not replacing O'Neal, but what they do to try to combat that loss will be interesting. Uh, Unfortunately, the injury talk will just continue on here because, you know, the last two guys to bring up here, uh, JT Brubaker, we knew it was heading this direction, uh, unfortunately. Tommy John, so we mentioned O'Neal Cruz's season isn't over. Brubaker's is over before he even gets started. Um, And probably wouldn't expect to see him on the mound for the pirates until you know june or july of next season at this point with the way that these things go so uh very unfortunate for him i actually sent him a message today and was just talking to him on instagram for a little bit uh i'm happy that like his spears are still so high especially like this is kind of a uh like the point that he's at in his career too i i think is what really sucks like this is gonna be I'm I'm not going to bet against the guy by any means, yeah. especially like you know one of the first ten guys to have our trust the buck and process shirt. He's a really cool dude. It's just like we talked about how common Tommy John surgery has become, but it's like because it's this point in his career, it's going to be tougher. Mm-hmm. Um, I will just tie it in with the next guy we're going to talk about. Uh, another one of our guys, Mike Burrows. Uh, who knows where this one's heading because. They both got second opinions. We got the news about Brubaker today, the day of recording this. We don't know what exactly is going on with Burroughs, but he left with forearm tightness. He was see- getting a second opinion about his elbow. You just don't like to hear those words for pitchers being thrown around in today's age. But what yeah. I was getting at there is tying the two together. Burroughs is still at that point where it's like, if he has to have that, it sucks. Um, But it's, it's so much of a commonplace now where so many guys get it. I don't have as much concerned about him getting back to being the same type of pitcher with brew baker i think it's a different conversation just because of where he's at in his career yeah no i agree i think this hurts brew baker more than it would burrows but overall fr- from a pirate's perspective it sucks because brew baker was somebody that you're looking at his expectation to be in that starting rotation and then burrows well, was especially somebody with hill and you know vince velasquez struggling the way they have so far out of the gate like brew baker yeah. would be a nice guy to have right now yeah, Rich Hill and Vince Velasquez. Oh man, they they can go off with the Pirates people or the Penguins. Rowanzi right had now. one really bad start just this last series against the Astros. Like mm-hmm. Brew Baker, obviously he's you know he's not going to light the world on fire. He's not a flashy guy, but like you can count on him to go give you you know five innings, maybe two three runs. Like it's you know what you're getting when he takes them out. It's consistent. To, yeah. m- most of the time it's consistent when he goes out there. Yeah. So that sucks from that perspective that you're going to lose somebody that you thought would be in your rotation. And then Mike Burroughs is somebody you thought might be able to m- take a spot in that rotation. And depending on what the second opinion says, maybe that's shut down for the rest of the year as well, which would really be a blow to the pitching, which overall that I feel like that's been the, the, uh, the Achilles heel for the pirates so far is that starting pitching and specifically yeah. the names that we had mentioned so far. Um, Oviedo, Mitch Keller, they, they've given some pretty good starts. Um, Rowanzi had one good, one decent start and then another pretty bad start. But then Rich Hill, I, I feel like, I don't know if it's his age is showing, but he just... I did think he was he was okay against the Astros. I think a lot of it, honestly, was more luck than anything. 
I mean, he didn't strike out a single batter, and he still only gave up two runs somehow. Yeah, that against that Astros lineup. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think back to the the home opener though against the White Sox. You were there at one point. The Pirates last, were losing five to one. Yeah, and I I feel like that gets lost in in how that game ended ended up. But Rich Hill did not have a good start in that game, and it seemed like he was just hanging things over the plate. And like I said, I don't know if that's just because he has a 42 year old arm and it doesn't have the same movement, same juice that it had before. I mean, his fastball seems like it's going like 89 miles per hour. It, yeah. Um, it is. Top side of 88. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's not something but ideal. And then Velasquez 70th I, top of the zone, which is what Rich has done a lot so far. Yeah. And then Vince Velasquez, I, I just feel like he's kind of been a disappointment from, from what we, expected he could have started out as as a starter i mean you get a shot to be in the well, rotation coming off and, the spring that he had to, he was really good in spring so yeah it's just he he has had no consistency turnover from that spring ball whatsoever from his starts it, it's it's almost like i'm i'm hoping he doesn't give up more than four or five runs because i question whether the pirates can come back from that whenever he takes the mound which is disappointing and so the fact that brew baker and burrows could be having these these injuries and season-ending injuries um, going into next season, that that's going to really hurt the Pirates from what has been the worst part of the team so far in the 2023 season. Well, I mentioned, like, Burroughs was my guy. Obviously, like, I thought he was going to be the, you know, Pirates pitcher of the year this year. I said that on the, the episode we did right before the season started. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I mean, that's a massive loss to me um, because it leaves the pipeline so thin. You know, we, Luis Ortiz obviously can be called up at any point, dropped into the rotation and be their, you know, second or third best arm probably. Uh, but beyond him, it's like, man, is Quinn Priester ready to take that jump? Because after Ortiz. Another one of our guys, by the way. Yeah. I mean, after Ortiz, he's next in line, in my opinion. I don't know who else down there you're looking at is like this guy could be part of the rotation, but to me, it's it's Ortiz and Priester, especially with Burroughs out of the picture. And that's why I think the the Pirates are kind of in a pickle where they just kind of have to eat it with the guys that they have for right now because I don't know if Quinn Priester is ready to come up, and even if he is, uh, unless the Pirates get in an injury situation where they need to bring him up, we kind of know how they operate. They're probably not going to bring up a guy until after June anyway. So th- yeah, at least they're we, not going we'll to probably want see to. some guy that's just like I don't even know who's down there in, in Indy. Oh, uh, well, another one of our guys. I don't even know if they're utilizing him in the same way or how the organization feels about him, but Cody Bolton who missed, you know, a year. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's the case, mm. you know? Yeah. Cause pitching, I think it's gotta be kind of now or never for him. Yeah. Cause something with the pitching needs to change though. That that's a certain, if, if it's not from the guys that are in the rotation right now, turning it around and putting out better starts, then you're going to need to see some new faces in the rotation because that's the thing that's been, kind of hurting the pirates is when those guys start you're kind of hoping that the offense is going to be clicking that night so they can outscore the opposition and that's not a good way to win baseball games um Cody another guy that's down uh, in triple a with the o'neill cruz injury do you think tuca pita marcano comes up to the mlb club I, soon? yeah i honestly like i wouldn't have been surprised if it was him over mark matthias but I, I think Tuke has got a shot to be like the next guy to come up. I'm looking at the Indians roster right now, though. Yeah, I mean it's it would have to be 
<laughs> that that, that yeah gives a lot of boat of confidence. I'm just I don't know who their starting rotation is down there, but yeah, to me, like after after yeah after uh, Ortiz, it, it probably is Cody Bolton. Is that I mean Tyler Chatwood's down there right now. He has some starting experience. He's injured though right now. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking at position players too, just because you brought up Tuke. Uh, Chris Owings was is down. He's got MLB experience. He was brought in on a um invite in spring training. I think he would maybe Miguel Andujar's down there. Forgot he even existed. Yeah. So I I don't know. I don't know who's who's next in waiting. But really, I think it is. You got to look at the pitching. I mean, you look at they're going to need these guys. They're going to need guys from the minor leagues because every team does every year. Like they're going to use eight plus starters probably this year at some point. So I just, I don't know where the arms are coming from. It's a shame that Moreta can't be a starter because I love when he pitches. (laughs) Yeah, he did get a Brightman got him today for a three run shot, but yeah, Yeah. he's, he's a ton of fun. Hopefully he stays good because it'd be really cool. Also, he was the return on the Kevin Newman deal. So that's yep. why I'm assuming he was so fired up against the Reds originally. It's because it was his old team. <laughs> That'd be cool. Um, yeah, I don't got anything else. So, And this has been a longer episode anyway, thanks to the Penguins consuming 40-ish minutes of the show. Yeah, this is like a this is like a circa 2018 around the 412 episode. That's that's fitting because I just saw I saw Herbert opening day for the first time, like since you know he stepped away from the show in person. So Nice. That was really cool too. Yeah. Yeah, I'm jealous that you got to go opening day. By the way, we went that was since then. That was yeah. uh, it felt very. It wasn't a playoff game feel, but it was more than a. I wouldn't know. It was more than any other pirate game that wasn't a playoff game. Okay, that's the best way to put it. Because the, the, the closest games to me that I've experienced that have, I guess, playoff atmosphere. Where in 2015, it was the series against the Cardinals right before say, okay, the yep. the break. Um, I was I was at three of the four games. I was at the the what was it the Thursday night game, and I was at the Saturday and Sunday game. One of the one of the only two sporting events I've been to on a Sunday was it, the the second comeback in that series that the Pirates had over the Cardinals. Um, the night, the night before on Saturday, that was that iconic Kutch home run with Greg Brown losing his mind, and then was Polanco, I believe. Yeah, yep. With so Pompey, that, uh, Pompey Annie right in the background of the shot of Polanco walking off. Yeah, so that that is the only that I guess the closest I felt to like playoff baseball was that atmosphere. Um, but I guess I'll close out the show with this: um, What was it like with? Kutch coming up the bat for the first time back as a pirate from a fan perspective, because I can only videos can only do so much whenever yeah. you're living in Oklahoma. So what was it like actually being in the stadium? Um, Emotional. Honestly, I, I think that, you know, they really, they really did a good job. I think everybody did a great job of capturing the moment. Um, You could tell that he was emotional, you know, like he stepped out, they gave him that, which, you know, again, yeah. shout out to everybody. Handled- that. Yeah, everybody handled the situation really well. They were aware of what was going on, thank God. Um, and you can see that he got emotional. I think everybody in there was kind of emotional. I, I don't think that, like, if you are outside of Pittsburgh, I think on a national level, people kind of understand how much Andrew McCutcheon means to this city. 
but because of pirates baseball meaning so little in, in recent memory it's like it's hard for people to understand that any baseball player that's played here could mean as much as that guy does to the city and for him to you know want to come home him taking the initiative making the phone call uh and coming back here to likely finish out his career um i just it, it's in, a lot of people thought that moment would never happen so to be able to get that opportunity with him back, we've obviously had him come back to PNC Park as a visitor and gotten to you know show our appreciation. But to see him back in that Pittsburgh Pirates black wearing the number 2022, it's a moment that I don't think anybody thought would happen. So, yeah, it was, it was a very emotional moment. I just kept – there were some people that were recording it and stuff like that. I was just staring at the – they got a new scoreboard there. I'm sure you've seen at least I have video yeah. or picture of it. It's beautiful, by the way. I was just staring at him on the, the scoreboard because I could – like, obviously, I wouldn't have a good enough view of him from left field. So I'm just staring at that board the whole time. And when I saw that he got emotional, I got emotional. And then I start to look around the ballpark, and everybody's just kind of like, you know, the exact same way. And I don't think anybody wanted to stop clapping. I think if if they let us, that at bat just would have never taken place. He would have just yeah. stood there the entire time. It, it seemed like an awesome moment. I was at work when it happened, and I'll be honest, I got emotional watching that. Which I'm a sap anyway. I, I get emotional over Same. over easy things yeah. like that. So I, I, this, this show has seen me cry far too often. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, when it comes to like sports, something like that, like I remember whenever, and this was not even the same thing because he was in a different team, but like whenever I went to the game that Flurry made his comeback, uh, his oh. first game as a Golden Knight, I was there mm -hmm. and I was crying because it, it, it's just the, the emotions I had for that player. It was the same thing I have for Kutch. Uh, and it, honestly, probably even more so for Kutch. And so I was working... Um, and I had to, I, I, when that, he went up to bat, I stepped into our back room just so I could like focus only on that. And just because I didn't want to miss any of it because I knew how special that was going to be. And it, it just reminds me of like any of those sports moments, like Ben's last game flurry coming back. I mean, Kutch being able to come back as a pirate and be able to soak in that moment. Also, shout out to Maria McCutcheon for making him get on the phone with yeah. Bob Nutting. Mm -hmm. um, none of this would be possible without the fellow Yinzer Maria. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that was such an awesome moment. And I feel like not only did he – it was great because not only did he that, – that moment we soaked it up and everything, but he also got a hit on the first pitch. He didn't yeah. need to hit a home run for it to be Opposite great. Opposite way, too. And, I mean, that's and kind of his... – And that would have been great. He had three hits on the day. And he's been a productive player throughout these first 12 games of the season. As a Pirate fan, I don't think we could have asked for anything more than what we've gotten from Angie McCutcheon right now. And it's been so much fun because I, I talked about before the season that it didn't even matter what his slash line was. Pirates fans are just going to be happy that he's back in their uniform. But the mm -hmm. fact that he's been able to be a productive player to this team even just adds more to how special it is and how special of a season that the Pirates could have and are having currently right now, um, even just 12 games in. So it, it, it's so awesome. And yeah, I just wanted to ask you about that moment because it just seemed like PNC Park exploded with just raw emotion. And you could tell when it, on, on TV, like 
he was trying not to cry. And I know he mentioned that um, mm-hmm. after the game and everything. Like you could tell he was trying not to cry because he's like, I have to, I have to face a pitcher next. I can't, I shouldn't be crying right now. But I think, awesome. I think that's a, it. It's just when you see the impact. I mean, that's all we can do when as we go through life is try to touch people and impact lives so that when we're gone, you know, we leave a lasting impression and to be able to leave such an impression that you can see it take place in front of you while you're still here. How can you not get emotional? I mean, and we're talking about something that was created literally just through sports. I mean, obviously great impact on the community as well, but really making his mark on bringing back a baseball team to a city that had been starving for a good baseball team for so long. So yeah, I mean, shout out to Andrew McCutcheon. He, his slash line this year might be like 150 with a 500 on base percentage. <laughs> I don't, and then I don't know if he's just slug, but he's going to like ridiculous on base percentage. It's just that's his calling card. That's why his game has aged so well. Like he's always going to be productive offensively because the dude just gets on base, regardless of if he hits for a high average or not. He's got such great plate discipline and such an eye for the strike zone. He knows the strike zone way better than any umpire in the league. That he's going to draw so many walks. So, but yeah, really cool moment. As cool of a moment uh, that I can remember right up there. Like, obviously, I was at Ben's last game. Uh, I wasn't at when Flurry returned, but it says cool of a singular moment. Not obviously talked about the, the entire game itself. But it was a good game, but the best, one of the best singular moments that I've witnessed in sports that I've actually been there for. And uh, hopefully, you know, this team creates a lot of memories with him on the team. Uh, I think that obviously the O'Neill Cruz loss hurts, but we'll see. We'll see how things play out. I think that, you know, because of guys like McCutcheon, they got a strong enough, you know, nucleus and group within that room to not, you know, totally lose sight of what they want to accomplish in 2023. Even without yeah, the roster, the roster is not as weak as it was last year. So there's yeah. still hope that they've, they can, they've won they so can... many games already this year that last year's team loses. Like it, it, they, they would be ahead, but they would blow it down the stretch just because like they don't have the experience and all these other things. But when you have guys like Andrew McCutcheon in the clubhouse, Carlos Santana, G man Choi has started to find the bat the last, you know, couple games that series against the Astros. Uh, you know, when you have guys like that in the clubhouse that have been there and done that, you're going to win some games that a previous season you would lose. So we've already kind of seen that play out this year. Yep. Yep. Um, Man, that hour do and it. 40 minutes almost. Yeah, yeah. so we're going to get out of here now. Um, oh. I want to go to sleep, so we're going to get going. But uh, Tyler mentioned at the beginning of the show that there are a ton of GoFundMes that are going to be in the description of the show. The links to all those will be down there. One thing I want to mention, because I can't put specifically the stuff for this, like I can't put a link to it. I don't. There's not like a digital fly or anything like that. Uh, is the Dalton Keene Memorial Golf Outing that's going to be held at Blackhawk Golf Course on May 13th, uh, actually a month from the time that you guys are probably watching or listening to this at 2 p.m. Uh, I got to ask, I don't know if you can still register. I'm just going to be upfront about this right now. I don't know that you can still register for this, but it was, <laughs> we'll see. So get in contact with me and I'll have an answer for you then. But it was $100 per player that includes playing golf, also your drink and food for the tournament itself. All the proceeds are going to be split 50-50 between the Highmark Caring Place in Pittsburgh and the Isla Teen Fund. The Isla Teen Fund, that is one of the links that we have there for a GoFundMe. Um, great cause. 
get in touch with me if you want to be a part of it. I will be there, not golfing. We've talked about it regularly on this show, um, but I will be in attendance for the event. So come hang out if you are not going to golf. Still be a great time, and you're supporting a great cause. Uh, other than that, be sure to subscribe to the channel on YouTube, wherever you are listening or watching. Well, the only place you'd be watching is YouTube. Wherever you're listening to this, if it's not YouTube, also subscribe there. Leave us a five-star review. Hit the like down there right below. I'm guessing Tyler, I think. Hit that notification bell as well. Um, and then follow us on all this stuff that's scrolling across the bottom if you're watching watching on YouTube. If you're listening, it says at around the 412 on Twitter tiktok instagram and like us on facebook for whatever reason if you're on facebook other than that for smitty for tyler we'll talk about some sports stuff next week i guess we won't have any penguin games to talk about but we'll talk to you guys next week until then bye